0: Lonely Monk Productions I don't know if y'all have heard Sweet Sounds of Heaven by the Rolling Stones featuring Lady Gaga and Stevie Wonder yet, but yo! That's my joy! That's my joy. Hey yo, displace the What's good, friends and family, neighbors near and far? Welcome to an all-new episode of the Yo, That's My John podcast. The podcast, website, brand movement, way of life dedicated to the embrace, and championing of your passions. I am your host, Nate Runkle, aka John Philip Souza, aka Nate 3.0, back at it again with yet another episode of the podcast. As always, I hope this podcast finds you all in good health and in good spirits. On today's episode, I have an incredible chat with singer-songwriter Sean James. We've never spoken before, but this was one of those conversations that I easily could have sat in for hours. It's a good one, and that's coming up in a minute here. But first, hello, my friends. It is time for our regularly scheduled check-in. So, how are we doing? Are we all good? Surviving week two of the Travis Kelsey Taylor Swift media onslaught? (laughs) All right, I kid, but how wild is this, man? I can't believe the attention this thing's been getting. Hot takes are flying left and right and, well, I want to add my own. So go ahead, roll your eyes at me, but I got thoughts. So join me as I bust out the red string, I place my most tinfoil-y of hats on my head, and I tell you my ridiculous theory about what is going on here. You know, I've seen a lot of people call this a PR ploy, you know, build up for the Errors Tour film or uh, trying to get Travis's Q rating up or something. But I don't think that's it. You know, I think there's something more going on here. You see, Taylor is a lifelong Eagles fan. She bleeds green. At her stop in Philly this past summer, she confirmed that line in Gold Rush. You know, the one with my Eagles T-shirt hanging from the door. She confirmed that was a bird's nod and not an allusion to the Hotel California band. So what I think is going on is she is creating a locker room distraction here. She's trying to create chaos from inside to avenge for the Super Bowl loss and clear a path for the Eagles Bowl victory this year. Guys, she's in her saboteur era, and I love it. This is straight vigilante shit. Draw a cat eye sharp enough to kill a man, Tay. Yeah, I know. I'm ridiculous. All right, I got some more upcoming notes here for you. Next week kicks off the Philly Music Fest starting on October 9th at the Ardmore Music Hall with Kurt Vile, Schoolie D, and Emily Robb. And it goes all the way through to the 15th and concludes with our pal Charlie Hall from the War on Drugs and Chris Forsyth at Solar Myth. So many great acts are taking part in so many different venues across the city, and a bunch of these shows are already sold out, but there are still a few tickets that remain, and gang, you will not want to miss it. Head on over to www.phillymusicfest.com for tickets and more info. Also, as part of the Philly Music Fest, they're doing another Inside Hustle event. Inside Hustle is a networking event that they put on in conjunction with WXPN at Rec Philly and it is free. So if you're into the music biz or you want to get in the music biz and you want to know more and you want to connect with some people in the industry, you are definitely going to want to come out to this one. Our pal Bruce Warren from WXPN is going to lead a panel discussion with Suge Daniels, Augusta Koch from Gladie, and Charlie Hall as well. Lots of valuable resources here, and I repeat, it is free. All you got to do is jump on phillymusicfest.com and RSVP. So come on out. I'll be there. Come say hi. Let's network. What else? Oh, okay. Have you signed up for the mailing list yet? Well, you should totally do that. Updates are delivered straight to you with every episode and sometimes there's a little bonus treat in there as well. So get on it. Visit www.yothatsmyjohn.com. You can sign up there and you can also visit a bunch of links to all things Yo That's My John, including, of course, the socials, which you know you can find at Yo That's My John on all of the platforms out there. So So go, go follow it, go follow it up. All right, are we good? We checked in, we handled some business, cool. So let me take a very short ad break here and then we can get to my interview with Sean James. Yo, That's My John is brought to you by Liquid IV. Guys, it is festival season, and you know me, I love a festival, and the secret to enjoying a festival is to stay hydrated. Liquid IV has you covered while you prep before, power through to the headliner, and recover after the weekend. Liquid IV hydrates two times faster than water alone, with three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks. Man, I love Liquid IV. It comes in a convenient packaging, and it's tasty. When you see me at the Exponential Music Festival this fall, you know that I will have Liquid IV on me. And it comes in 12 delicious, refreshing flavors to keep your hydration routine exciting. Alright, strawberry used to be my favorite, but they have this new one. It's strawberry lemonade, and it is a banger. One stick of Liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than water alone. It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. Liquid IV believes that equitable access to clean and abundant water is the foundation of a healthier world. So Liquid IV partners with leading organizations for innovative solutions to help communities protect both their water and their futures. To date, Liquid IV has donated over 39 million servings in 50-plus countries around the world. Okay, and you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the promo code YTMJ at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using the promo code YTMJ at liquidiv.com. Do it, and let's get our fests on. My guest today is a singer and songwriter out of Chicago whose soulful voice travels through a variety of genres, be it rock, R&B, gospel, metal, folk, and blues. His music has been featured on the Discovery Channel show Yukon Men, on CBS's Reckless, and on Showtime's Shameless, just to name a few. But it was his song, Through the Valley, that became his biggest breakthrough when the lead character of Ellie performed it in the hit PlayStation game, The Last of Us 2. On this Friday, October 6th, you can catch him performing at the World Cafe Live in Philly at 8pm, and his latest EP, the concept piece titled Honor and Vengeance, is set to be released on November 3rd. Folks, it is my honor to welcome to the show, Sean James. Ladies and gentlemen, I am joined today by the great Sean James. Sean, thank you for joining me on Yo! That's My John.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. I'm stoked to be here.
0: Yeah, man. So I am super excited to talk about uh, 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 just your entire life in music and stuff like that. Um, but I, I do have to lead things off by saying what a phenomenal voice you have. Like, um, wow. you just like it just hits the soul, man. Like, it just absolutely crushes.
1: Well, thank you very much. You know, yeah. Um... I grew up in Chicago and uh, I grew up with a weird mixture of like gospel churches. And then on the opposite end of that, when I went when I was in school, they put me in choir and opera. So I have this weird juxtaposition of like soul and then classical world combined. And then I got into high school and I was like, screw all this. I don't want to do any of that. And I got into bands and stuff. So it's just a weird combination of everything I've done over the years
0: yeah um w- w- when did your voice break as a kid? um did did you always have a deep voice or
1: no, no no, no they my I remember this actually, it's a funny story. Uh, I was in choir, and the vocal coach and the choir director loved me because i was I was able to hit these high notes and I was doing all these vocal competitions for the school. and then my voice broke, and then it was like, game over for him like he was not so stoked on it i think it was uh i don't know 11 or 12 something like that yeah
0: yeah that's crazy um so you said you grew up in chicago like uh what type of music was playing around the house
1: oh man my mom was into everything but she was very much into like 70s rock and roll and stuff like that And then opposite of that, a lot of soul music was always around, like Otis Redding, Aretha Franklin, you know, that kind of stuff is my bread and butter. But, yeah, a weird mixture of uh, those two things. And then, you know, I grew up in a very, very religious household. So it it was a weird – they wouldn't allow me to listen to secular music, and then yet that was a music they loved. And so it's like this weird uh, – Yeah, it was just strange. Very strange with that. But I got a good uh, mixture of everything. You know, I find that as I'm older and moved out, you know, that's when I started getting more music education in general, though, because I was more free to explore and, and, and get suggestions from friends that I never got before, you know.
0: Yeah. When, when you were, when you were a kid and that was kind of the, the, the house rule, um, was there anything you used to sneak back then? Was there like, Oh, a- hell yeah, man.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I used to, I remember we used to go to, uh, Sam's club or something and they'd have CDs and I would take the parental, uh, stickers off of them and be like, yeah, mom, it's a Christian CD we got here. Yep, And she wouldn't listen to it. So I just snuck it right on by, <laughs> That's
0: awesome. Um, did you, did you always love music? Was it always like in your, in your soul?
1: Yeah. My mom said, you know, I, I tell people that I don't remember a time when I wasn't singing. Like my, I came into consciousness and my memories, I was always singing. My mom said, you know, ever since a young, young boy, I was singing along with whatever was on the TV or radio. And she just said it was always there. And, um, Yeah, I can't remember not loving it, you know, for me, it's, it's interesting, because it's been a lot of things for me growing up, you know, I kind of had a little bit of a tumultuous upbringing, you know, with uh, just, you know, father issues, violence, this, that, blah, blah, blah. And music was always my escape, my therapy, my anger, my joy, sorrow, whatever it may be. So I have a, a very deep connection to it all for sure.
0: Yeah. Um, you, you talked about uh, choir and, and church and stuff like that. But were you were you taking any uh, instruments? Were you playing any instruments as a kid or
1: uh, just trumpet? Like yeah. they they forced me to play trumpet, my family, because they thought, oh, <laughs> there you go, man. <laughs> they forced me because I, I didn't really care. I just wanted to sing. And they were like, well, you know, we want you to know an instrument and read music and all that. And so I got into Trumpet and, you know, I'm thankful for it. I'm not great at it today, but I can uh, I still remember my scales and some fun little things. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's the same. I, I I literally only played trumpet in fourth grade. Uh, and then in fifth grade, I switched to clarinet. And then when wow. I got to high school, and they found out that I had that small little year of trumpet background, they threw a big, huge baritone in my in my hands. And they were like, now you play this. Um, so I played that for a few years. But um, I only just recently bought this because I was having a conversation with someone. And I said, man, I don't, think, I don't think I could remember anything if I picked up a trumpet. And they were like, I bet it would come back pretty easy. And I found this for ten dollars in a goodwill oh, that and i was nice. like, right that's what i thought uh, it needed a little work it needs a little like uh, a little sure. love but uh but yeah so i bought it and uh he wasn't he wasn't wrong man like i just started i was like oh right scales are just ingrained in my head now i guess
1: <laughs> yeah yeah it's funny it's it was the same thing with me you know like the the lip position and the mouthpiece came back like that yeah. and i gave it and I was like, "You try?" No way. <laughs> it's like blowing air, you know. <laughs> uh huh.
0: Uh huh. I know it well.
1: So, when when did guitar enter? When did you start playing guitar? Uh, when I was in uh, high school, I joined a band as a vocalist, and then you know, I wanted to learn. And I think I got like a Fender acoustic for mowing lawns one summer. <laughs> um, I think I was like sixteen or so. And uh, well, no, actually, that's wrong. I, I at fifteen. My dad had an old classical. That was a POS, man. The neck was massive, and I was like 14 or 15 when I got it, and it was just too big for me, and I hated it. And I, I tried to learn to play, and it was just so difficult because of the neck and the size of my hands at the time that I gave up. And then I turned 16 and got the Fender, and that was like a much more, you know, easy approach and and feel. And that's when I really started um, learning chords. But I never really wrote songs until I was about, I want to say 24 or something. Really? Yeah, I'd always just song, you know, I'd written lyrics, I'd been in bands as the vocalist. But I never wrote my own songs. And uh, I never had that desire until I got a little older. And I was like, well, you know what, I want to know how to do that. I want to know how to start to finish, write a song, you know, kind of inject the emotions and create the atmosphere so that I can sing the way I want to over it. So at first it was just a tool to be able to sing how I wanted and and create the structure, you know, and then I just fell in love with songwriting overall.
0: Um, when, when you were just singing, um, like, uh, and you were, you know, writing lyrics and stuff like that, um, did you have a desire to write lyrics or was it just kind of out of necessity as well, I'm going to sing these, I might as well be the person who puts my stamp on it.
1: No, no, I I definitely had a desire to say some things, you know? Um, I think at that point, you know, when I was starting to write lyrics, I was, Uh, late high school so i'd been through a bunch of stuff and i was starting to think about how it affected me and this and that and starting to have big opinions on things you know and starting to question religion and all this other stuff that was going on at the time and so it was a good outlet for me to express those ideas and explore um my creativity really
0: yeah the um uh uh um it was the word I'm looking for here. The um, when, So, you know, when you were starting to kind of um create that voice, like what kind of, what would you say it was reminiscent of? Like, what were kind of your influences? Um,
1: yeah, so, I mean, in the beginning, man, like growing up in the church and opera, everything was... Um, You know, church was more soulful, but it was all that kind of soul singing and a group of people just going at it. And that taught me emotion through music because I would see these people come to church and and really have these life issues going on. And they had maybe just lost someone or something that happened big in their life. And the way that they would approach these songs and like kind of just like the outpour of emotion, like they were draining. It was like therapy to them. That taught me one aspect and then the classical world taught me like the structure, but it was very by the book, you know, like you sing this emotion at this point, you do a rise right here, you hit this note, and you cut it off there. And as I got older, it just kind of infuriated me a little bit, you know, and I was like, I just want to create what I feel. And so I got into, I think in the beginning, it was more like punk. And, and then I got into metal. And like it was completely opposite vocal style. So I was screaming and doing these like heavy sounds that, you know, were against everything that I had been taught and the structure. And it was kind of like I I guess you could say it was a little bit of a rebellion thing, but it was also new and fun and and exciting to explore. And so in the beginning, when I was writing my own stuff, it was all that heavier stuff, you know, and very angsty and very um, just over the top and um i think after i got a little older i got out of metal bands and um i decided to get back in the music and i wanted to learn how to like i said earlier um learn how to make my own songs and create learn the guitar and it's then when i reapproached singing clean again that i just fell back in love with that kind of soulful big bodied voice And um, the thing that I learned, though, was from doing the years of metal screaming, it taught me how to sing clean and then get this growl in the singing that I didn't know how to do before. So it was like it was it was a weird I'm just a weird mixture of everything I've done and I kind of throw it together now and it's made me what I am.
0: It's awesome, yeah. It's a, it's almost like you unlocked, like it was a uh, uh, attribute unlock, like in a, a video game or something. Like that. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. You had to level up. You had to kill so many of these creatures, and then you get this exactly. Skill. Uh, yeah, yeah. Totally. You
0: had a side quest in Metal, and then you you came back to the main campaign. <laughs> it makes sense to me. It, That's right. how it works. That's how yeah. my brain works. Um, you 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 mentioned kind of uh, uh the church and 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 stuff like that, and I do think you yep. know you 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 said you know you've kind of fallen out of the 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 religion the religion um aspect, but um, you know I feel like and I and I'm like I'm the same way, but like I think the one thing that I feel like is lost. Um, in kind of everybody, you know, realizing things and figuring things out is that sense of community and that sense of like, um, kind of, I don't even want to say belonging, but that, that shared moment of like, you know, singing in a church, There is something powerful to that, that, you know, whether there's a higher power or anything like that, the the act itself. Right. You know, and (laughs) and and that is something that I think you've kind of beautifully captured in your work is you kind of have that kind of um, presence um, in in your songs.
1: Yeah, it's something it's something that I've always locked onto early and craved and needed. It's like that sense of when you get chills from anything. Or I like to, you know, now that I've gotten older and have examined everything and been through therapy and all this other stuff, realistically, to me, it's like spirituality without the religious structures to it and the rules. You know, like I think, and I don't know, I'm probably going to piss some people off or whatever, but I think that some people in church get this sense of emotion from singing in the church with everyone and they, and they attribute it to God or to a higher power. When I really think that they just need to go to more concerts and have this Mm -hmm. community fellowship singing a joint experience together, because it's really a beautiful thing. And I don't know, I can't really put it into words completely, but it's something special. And, and, you know, I'm agnostic these days. So like in all that, all that I claim that to be is a belief in the unknown, I don't, I don't know if there is, I don't know if there isn't, I don't know what may be. I believe that we as humans can't necessarily define what it may be. And we've tried to, and like no hate on whoever believes that. But for me, I just don't believe we can say what it is. So I just believe in the unknown. And um, yeah, there is, there's something to be said for that. Like you said, that, that, power of having this joint communal experience and fellowship that sometimes gets lost, you know, with a lot of things.
0: Yeah, and I think uh you know I'm I'm very very uh similar. I also consider myself agnostic and stuff like that, but um but I do like there I I feel like at times a lot of people want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know what I mean? Like there 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 is positive parts and and I think like on both sides that like you know what we're talking about in those moments when you know when you're all kind of sharing joy and kind of singing the same thing and just having that release. I think that sometimes some people um downplay the power of that and and try to ascribe it to something higher than what it is instead of like appreciating and valuing you know the 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 thing that we have created ourselves and then on the other spectrum like there's people who you know are completely so um, driven away by faith and stuff like that, that they reject and don't allow themselves to even experience something like that. That is very real. That doesn't require some sort of leap of faith or to believe in like, say a talking snake or something like that. You know what
1: I mean? Like it's great. It's, <laughs> <laughs> I I'm, I'm a hundred percent. I actually talk about this quite a bit because it means a lot to me, you know? And, uh, yeah, I I agree with what you're saying 100%. You know, I feel like like you were saying, it's the extremism on either side. A balance between it is really, you know, take the good of either aspect and make your own way. You know, again, it's not that I have any ill will or hate towards people on any extreme end. Like if that works for you and that's giving you satisfaction and you're happy with it. My biggest thing is as long as you're not hurting anyone else, yeah. do what you want you know, like all good, all good.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Community is a good thing. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, um, so, so you, you know, you, you start writing on guitar and stuff like that. Do do any of those songs still exist? Do you still, uh, dig any of them out or, or, or have you hidden all of those?
1: No, man. They honestly, the first songs that I wrote became the first songs that I released. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Like I went, I used to go to open mics, um, I think I was living in uh, Nashville at the time when I really started getting back into it, which is a perfect place for it. Um, And yeah, I was going to open mics and just kind of seeing how other people were doing stuff. And I always say like, you know, a good foundation is seeing what other people are doing, finding out how they're doing it, stealing it in a sense, and then making it your own you know, because yeah. that's how you learn is through mimic, you know, that's how I did a lot of stuff. I mimicked the people that I wanted to be like, and then found my own voice by, by going through there. You know, you don't just mimic and leave it there. You mimic to learn and then take it another step further. Um, but yeah, it, um uh, the first songs that I wrote, um, were the ones that I released. So I had a very, I don't know. I feel like at the time, because I started writing when I was a little older, um, I knew more what I wanted to say and what, how I wanted it to come across. Now the stuff that I was singing in other bands. No, I don't revisit yeah. that. <laughs> I don't even remember half that stuff, man. It's wild.
0: Yeah. I, um, I've long since buried a lot of the stuff I originally wrote when I, cause I, I started like when I was like 15 and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, there's some stuff that like, I probably won't even pretend I ever wrote. Um, at this point, uh, but uh, like I, I, you know what? I'll share this. Here's one: um, the second song I ever wrote completely was a song called um, "Al Sprinkler." My father's my uncle, and it was just like a, f- a fake uh, country song about finding out that there's inbreeding in your family. Um, that's but, uh, hilarious, though. That's that's yeah,
1: pretty yeah. Uh, creative, like a spoof song, dude. That's pretty, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's wild.
0: Um, so, um, you know, in, in in between, then you you did some sound engineering. Is that right?
1: Yeah, so I got the pressure that everyone, a lot of people get from their parents. Well, what are you going to do? You know, I know this is a passion of yours, but what are you really going to do with your life? You know, you need to go to school, this and that. And uh, I originally was going to go to school for like computer science or something like that because I was interested in computers and technology as well. And I remember I sampled a couple classes and I just hated it. I was like, there's no way I can't. I always had a strong pull, like when something is wrong. I just I will not do it, you know, and uh, I felt that. And then I started looking like, what the hell am I going to do then? You know, I've got this pressure that, you know, to have a backup plan or another plan, whatever. And so I found this course in uh, Orlando, Florida through Full Sail that was recording engineering. And I was like, well, you know what? Let's let's try it. I went down there and uh, did the whole uh, demo or walkthrough. And, you know, they sold it really well. It looked cool. It was in studios mixing. And I was like, yeah, I want to do that. And I did. And I went to school for it. I spent way too much money, but I learned a pretty valuable skill set. And although I don't, you know, do the recording engineering thing professionally, I feel like a lot of the Skills and knowledge and communication and knowing what those things are enable me to, um, enabled me to communicate with engineers in the past for albums and know get across what I'm trying to say. And now I have a home studio set up and I know how to do it all, you know, through experience. So in the end, it was a very valuable Investment, I like to put it. But at the time it hurt, man. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. It was it was a uh another achievement
0: unlock side quest in the a, in the long video game of your life.
1: <laughs> it man, it's the RPG of life. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: right. Um, so you, you start uh, writing and recording and um you've like never stopped um because I, I was looking at your discography and just yeah, look yeah. at one of the things I always like to look at people's discography is years to kind yeah. of see like um, you know what kind of time they take in between stuff and you seemingly take no time like you are just on to the next project has that always been kind of your drive or is it just the way it's worked out
1: so it's funny you know by the time that I write the songs and I have them written by the time I get in the studio I'm already almost this is the wrong way to put it but over it like I'm like yeah okay, that's done. My mind's already moving on when I'm recording the songs almost. Cause like I've already written them. They're already there. I can have the vision in my mind and it's just finding the way to put that on paper or put it on, um, you know, digital hard drive or whatever. But the thing that I've always found with myself is because in between, or while this is all going on the releasing and that I've also been like full-time touring and I used to do like 250 days a year, ridiculous schedules. Right. And I found that in the in between time of tours so i'd record or write record the album go on tour for a while by the time i was done with tour i'm just exhausted and i get home and you know i take a week to recover so and then because i don't really write on the road because there's so much going on and my focus is on the performance aspect the traveling getting from gig to gig just executing the show I don't write while I'm on the road. So because I've kind of starved myself of the creative aspect of writing, when I get home and I have this off time, it just like, it just floods naturally. And so that's kind of been the, the weird roller coaster effect of um, the schedule and the releasing of albums that I've done is it's all been normally in the winter time. Cause I hate touring in the winter. I've learned, you know, canceled shows, storms, all that fun stuff. And by the time I get home, I just had this itch to create, you know, and whether that's whether I've written down an idea of like a concept EP I want to do or concept album or whether I'm just playing guitar at home and then, you know, get these song ideas and break out my phone and hit record just to capture the initial idea. That's kind of how it's been for me throughout the last 10 years.
0: Uh, it's great. I mean, like it's it, it's produced um, amazing stuff, so it's working. Don't change it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, um, <sighs> but so that that leads me to the other thing I wanted to ask. The other hand of that is, um, wh- when do you rest? What 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 does rest look like to you?
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, in the beginning there wasn't much, you know, and I feel like being busy was a way. I guess I guess it it goes even further back. You know, I started going to therapy in uh when COVID hit because I was on the road all the time. I was always busy, and when it got taken away, at first I was like, "Oh man, this is going to be like a vacation." You know, I get to and it was for like a month, and then it got kind of sad and depressing and made me realize that I was kind of keeping myself busy and not dealing with some things that I needed to. And so you know, after therapy, I think I realized that I was running myself ragged and not dealing with stuff and not not giving myself the healthy amount of time to actually live a life, a personal life outside of you know, there's Sean James, the musician and the travel road dog and the recording artist. And then what about you know, Sean, just the dude who has a cool life and wants to just be something outside of that entity. You know, yeah. So it was it was this weird, um, it was this weird time, and I I, I uh, sifted through everything, and for the longest time I had no rest, man. You know, and I, I thought it's what I wanted. You know, I was drinking a lot and doing a bunch of other stuff in between, and it's exhausting. And by the time um, all that came around, COVID was a big rest for me. It was almost obviously horrible, but in another sense, it was a much needed stoppage you know uncontrolled stoppage like i didn't have anything to do with it it forced me to stop and actually take a look and create boundaries for myself in a much more healthy way to where now i'm trying to find balance for okay here's the tour schedule with enough time in between for me and my bandmates to have spent time with their families um have other hobbies, do other things in their life and grow. And then here's the recording time. And now I just feel like I'm in a much better place overall. And now I am finding the rest to be healthy because I also feel like when I first started touring, I was like 25 or no, it was earlier than that. But when I started touring with this, I was 25 and I had all the energy in the world. I could get three hours of sleep next day, wake up, drive six hours and give the best show ever. And my voice was recovering. Well, nowadays I have to, be a little bit more careful. You know, I'm almost 37 and I can feel certain things starting to be like, Oh man, if I do that the next day, this is going to hurt me in this aspect, or my range might not be able to hit the same notes as I could because I didn't get this amount of sleep or I drank this last night. And that was, you know, so overall, uh, it's a, a bit of a rant I went on, but I feel like I'm in a much better place and, uh, I'm finally finding, the way to balance everything and have a much healthier existence overall.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, uh, very similar. I, I'm I'm much older than you, but um, like um, one of the things I've had to learn in the past few years is um, <laughs> I never took care of my voice ever, and now that I'm, you know what I mean, I
1: like never you did scales, never did no. warm. I was like I'm a beast like nothing can stop
0: me (laughs) yeah and I remember the first time that like I lost my voice completely and I was like um is it over like is this are we done like
1: (laughs) same here man I I was thinking like oh man I'm never going to be what I was I guess I'm just different now and I started freaking out you know like I'm known for my voice what the hell am I gonna do and it was just a matter of taking more care of it and being smarter, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And
0: sometimes, sometimes I won't go for that note. Like I know, (laughs) you know what I mean? That's
1: (laughs) another thing, man. I listened to my, my first record I put out in 2012 shadows and that was 11 years ago now. And hearing my voice back then to me, I sound like a, a teenager, like it's so high pitched and nasally and like uncontrolled almost dynamically now a my voice is much deeper i can't even hit some of the notes i used to hit on that record so i you know i play my standard guitar is now in d standard to make it possible to do everything and even like you said some notes you know you adjust and you do things differently and i've just had to accept that's natural in life yeah. you know right. like, that's gonna happen as i get older it brings about new ways to approach songwriting. And now I have a depth to my voice and control in a different way. I feel like I'm better than I was. But, you know, every now and then I still get the people that are like, oh, man, I miss it when you were like that. And I'm like, well, get over it because I'm not going back in time. I can't do that anymore. <laughs> oh, I know it well, man. I know it well.
0: But I will say, like, um, uh, for uh, for you, it, to me, it seems like a feature, not a bug, um, the the kind of growing into your voice. Like it, it just kind of, like I said, allows your stuff to resonate so much more, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, I had to get over You know, a lot of people have the perfectionist bug, right? And I had that like crazy. And I remember just beating myself up constantly on records. I used to think I hated recording songs because I was such a perfectionist. I'm like, do it again, take it again, over and over and over and over. till I got that one take that was perfect. And the truth was over the years I've learned is that a lot of times the honesty in a, a really good take, but maybe with a little bit of a break in the voice at this point, actually, you know, gets more emotion in it, shows that you're really striving in it. It's honest. It's authentic. Not that it wasn't before, but it's just that perfectionist thing has kind of slowly gone away at that extreme level. And, yeah. uh, you know, I've learned to, again, just balance as I've gotten older and, and certainly. Learning. Yeah.
0: Well, you know what the, you know what it is, or at least how I've always seen it is like um, perfection is a form of armor and, and and protection, you know, because you are trying to present this as something pristine. Whereas when you have those cracks and stuff like that, and you show a bit of that vulnerability, it's why like like someone like Beyonce, I've had this conversation a lot, but someone like Beyonce is a phenomenal singer, right? She's it, it just Perfect, but yeah. there's something about it that I just can't connect to because it just, I don't, it's not even that it sounds fake. It just doesn't, uh-huh. it doesn't have that vulnerability to it, you know? And that's what I look for in a voice personally, you know?
1: I get it completely, man. You know, it's like a lot of people use the term overproduced, but yeah, it's, it's, um, like you said, vulnerability. And like an authentic genuineness in performance. That's one of the biggest things that translates for me. And I mean, I love, I love Beyonce too, but how cool would it be if she did like a stripped down acoustic set of a lot of her songs just to hear the, the, the more raw. Raw, that's what I was looking for. Ra- yes. You know what I mean? Then it would just be like, whoa, a whole nother level, you know, to me. And that's something that, yeah, would be really cool. And I I agree, man.
0: Yeah, um, you know, you mentioned uh, doing therapy over the pandemic. I'm a, a big mental health guy. Like, uh, as one, like you know, like you said, you know, I understand that the the pandemic was a tragedy because it was. But there, you know, there were little things that came out of it. Like, I feel like as a society, we're a touch little better at at you know, looking at mental health and kind of respecting it um, and stuff like that. Has it affected your songwriting? Like, have you have you seen noticeable differences in the way way that you um, create now?
1: Yeah. You know, I think one of the biggest things before doing therapy and before COVID is when I would write these really emotionally intense songs and really honest, brutal, kind of introspective stuff about my life, I would almost be ashamed. I would be like, "Uh, this is cheesy. Uh, This is... I don't know. Am I being too honest? I feel like I don't, it, there was a sense of shame about it, you know, and and feeling like ah, people don't want to hear this and blah, blah, blah. And then afterwards, you know, I feel like I've grown more comfortable. I will say it never stopped me from releasing the songs, even when I felt shame about it. But now I feel more at ease and comfortable actually um, being in that space, being vulnerable and, um letting and showing people how I feel and why I wrote the song and explaining things and allowing people to connect. And, and, you know, I I hate being put on a pedestal, you know, I'm just, I like to, I I just want to be down to earth and real. And, you know, I I don't want to be idolized like that. You know, I just wanted people to realize that I'm just another guy. Yeah. Maybe I have a unique voice, but I've learned how to interpret my life and even stories I make up like mythology, you know, there's something for me, stories and legends and folklore is uh, a really cool way to translate things in life that might be hard to talk about, but you can kind of metaphorically do it. And uh, yeah, so that would be the thing I, I'm I'm not, I don't have that blockage up, you know, as much as I did before. And I think therapy really helped me with that and just in general in life move beyond um, some things that were just weighing me down that I'd never even talked about. I never realized were affecting me, you know, from my past. So, yeah, it's a beautiful thing, man. And I think more people, I grew up, I grew up in a family and environment that demonized that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? And I never did it. Never thought I needed it. I'm fine. I got beyond all that. I'm, you know, but in the end I did need to talk about it and I needed an external perspective to kind of sometimes validate what was messed up or what was, you know, just another opinion on it, it was really cool for my perspective on it all.
0: Yeah you know i very very similarly i you know uh over the, over the pandemic and the past few years have kind of found uh, found myself uh somewhere buried in myself um but like one of the big things for me was like um my family was never against sharing or you know like uh uh they weren't emotionally closed off or anything like that but one of the things is that um we um uh, avoid everything we would just avoid like you know like Brush it under the rug <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it, and it wasn't like, no, 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 don't talk about it. It was just like nobody talked about it. You know, like you, yeah. you weren't told not to talk about it. It was just like, yeah, we're, we're all just dealing with our own things and we all know what's happening. And, you know, we'll just, um, so like, that's one of the things I've been trying to, you know, work on is like not avoiding feeling, I guess is what it comes down to. Like you're like, yeah. I my, my, my new mantra is
1: you're allowed to feel things like <laughs> 100%. Man. You know? Yeah. My thing has like been I used to be very reactionary too, you know, with stress and with obstacles, I react real fast. And now I'm just like, pause, take a minute and it's fine. You know, we'll find a way around it. And I'm getting better, you know, day by day. It's just all you can do is, you know, one step at a time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, uh, bouncing around uh, This is what happens when uh, your host has ADHD. I love it, man. This is a good... (laughs)
1: This is one of the best interviews I've done. I will tell you already. Oh, I'm really
0: I, I appreciate that. Um, but, um, you know, we were talking about achievement unlocks and video games and stuff like yeah. that. So I got to talk about Through the Valley. Uh, of course. Being in, in The Last of Us. How the yeah. fuck did that happen?
1: <laughs> so I can I'll, I'll I'll give what my experience was and then I'll tell you how it actually came about. So my experience was I think I was touring in like 2014 and i was in i was in chicago i was at a venue called liar's club in chicago and we had a show and i remember loading out from the show and i get this email on my phone and i'm like what the hell from sony whatever it seemed very official you know and i thought it was just like a i don't know either a promotion or some bs right and i open it and they were Sony in affiliation with PlayStation. Hey, we're interested in your song through the Valley. Um, You know, and let me know if you're interested in doing this. And so I emailed them back. I was like, yeah, of course. And they came back to me with, well, we can't tell you, we want through the Valley. We can't tell you what we're going to do with it. We're not going to tell you what, game they did tell me it was going to be a game they told me it was going to be a triple a game which was massive right and they didn't they were like we're you We're not going to tell you if you're the one singing it if someone else is singing it if they're just singing a portion how it's going to be used your likeness they wouldn't tell me anything and at first i was like i don't know like this is my baby what if they use it in a weird way what if it's not how i wanted it and I remember I talked to a couple friends and one of them was like, you're an idiot if you don't do this, because look at you right now. You're very underground. You know, you're struggling. You're digging in everyone's pockets just to find gas money to put in the tank to get to the next show. You know, we're sleeping in the van overnight outside hotels, stealing their Wi-Fi, like, you know, stuff like that. And I was like, you know, no, no reward without the risk. Right. And eventually I was like, you know what? let's do it. Let's see what happens. So I took the risk and I didn't hear a word for like two or three years, two or three years. I agreed, you know, did the deal, NDA, all that, and then never heard a thing. And I was like, man, I wonder if this is still happening. Then one day it was in 2016, towards the end of 2016, they were doing the PlayStation experience event, which was right around the holidays, I believe. And they emailed me out of nowhere, And they were like, hey, you should watch this event. And I was like, okay, that means maybe something's going to come about. And it was like a three-hour event, right? And so I'm watching, nothing first hour, nothing second hour, nothing in the beginning of the third hour. And I was like, oh, man, a mistake made? Or they saved the best for last, and this is a massive deal, more than I was thinking. And then, boom, the trailer for The Last of Us 2 comes on. And Ellie's playing my fucking song, man, through the valley. And it was just mind blown. My phone gets blown up by so many different people like, what the hell? I didn't know this and that. And yeah, so that's in my perspective at the time. That's how it came about out of nowhere. I wasn't pitching for it. I wasn't trying to do that kind of thing. It just happened, you know, Um, and context here through the valley was released in 2012, was one of the least popular songs I'd ever put out, although one of my favorites. I used to play it live, and then I stopped because people didn't like it, would talk over it. I started playing more like, Crowd satisfying stuff, right? That would get their attention, more vocally intense, or doing band stuff and doing different stuff that's impressive, slide guitar to catch people's attention. That song was more stripped down and raw and emotional. A lot of people at bars drinking didn't want to hear that shit. You know what I mean? That was the vibe I got from people. So I stopped playing that song, man. Like I never in a million years thought Through the Valley would be the one, you know? And then that happened and it blew my mind. And you know overnight the song got a million streams and then it just kept going up from there all of a sudden you know we we were playing shows 50 to 100 people and then that doubled and tripled and like just a beautiful you know we had worked for years road dogs for years and then this one thing i was almost mad at it at first because i was like I've been doing nothing different for years, right? And now all of a sudden, now I'm respected and people are taking me serious. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you know, it was all reactive stuff. Now I'm super obviously great, grateful and appreciative of everything. But I remember having a little piece of me that was like, what the hell, man? Like, you know. Um long story, I know, but so the other perspective of how it came about After the fact that it came out, I connected with Neil Druckmann, the creative director of the game, and I talked to him and I was like, man, I got to meet him and hang out a bit. Now we're friends, you know, we we're we're cool on that level, which is crazy. And at the time I met with him and I remember I went to lunch with him outside Naughty Dog. He invited us to the studio and went to lunch and I was like, you got to tell me, how did you come across it? Why? Why this song? How well, how did this happen? Because all I know is this experience. And he was like, well, we were originally looking for a Johnny Cash song. We wanted to use a Johnny Cash song. And I guess, don't quote me 100% on here, but I guess something happened where they couldn't use it for some one reason or another, whether that was copyright clearance or publishing, something happened, they couldn't get it. Um, and so he went on YouTube, and I guess he was looking at Johnny Cash covers or something like that. And I had played this house show in like 2013 that was super stripped down. I didn't even know this video was online. I covered this Johnny Cash song called God's Gonna Cut You Down. And he saw that and liked my voice and liked my vibe and style and was like, this was 2013. So I only had one album out at the time. And so he goes and looks me up from there, finds the album Shadows, listens to the album I think Through the Valley is like the sixth or seventh song on the album gets to that song and stops and was like, this is perfect. This is, this is what I've been looking for. You know, like the post-apocalyptic feel, the, uh, it just matched. Honestly, when I, when I knew it was the last of us, I was like, there couldn't have been a more perfect match for that song, you know, like the, uh, death and vengeance and, the heaviness and the, you know, everything about it kind of matched perfectly with uh, what was going on with Ellie and Joel and the, and the adventure. So that's how it came about. He found it through there, had his team reach out. And that's how I got the email. And I was like, are you kidding me? You know, I was just doing my thing and out of nowhere, you know, the crazy thing to think about now is like, if I wouldn't have played that house show, if one person there wouldn't have taken that video and put it up online I might not have ever gotten this opportunity to do this and have this uh, experience in my career. It's a wild, crazy thing and something I tell, you know, artists all the time that are up and coming and looking for advice, how to make it. And I'm like, just do the work. Enjoy the journey because half the time it's going to be something from that journey that you least expect. That because you did it, that all of a sudden someone hears or something hits that makes it possible for you to step up to the next level. You know, A lot of times when you're seeking out these opportunities and trying real hard to get them, it feels, I don't know, it's something in life just like says, nah, mm -mm." but it's like when you're just doing the work and being and living that life, I find that uh, more often than not, I find that that's when opportunities come to me
0: you that's know? it's beautiful I, like first of all uh both versions of that your version and then what happened um twice during that did i get like legitimate chills like i was just like this is it this is this is the dream you know like yeah, um, yeah. but like but to that point like that's why, like, I, I always try, you know, same thing when I'm talking to people, I'm always like, I, you got to present every show as if like, you know, somebody, it, it could be the one, you know, every single performance, no matter how big or small, if you put your all into it, if you're true and you're your honest self and you're yeah. just giving you, you, you're just presenting you, yeah, um, it, it, it'll work. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, they'll just, find
1: it. You know, don't don't put on a front you know, or do, I know people that put on a front and have like a whole stage persona that it works for too. But for me, it's really just living that life and being honest and genuine. And that connects with more people than anything, you know, period. So
0: absolutely. Um, Tash Sultana did uh, a version of it. Did yeah. you guys ever get to, uh, do it together? Or did you guys ever get to? Oh, no,
1: no, it never, never happened yet. I reached out and we have been like in touch and stuff, but that is something that's still uh, a goal of mine. Maybe someday we can kind of make that happen because I love Tash Sultana. She's great. I love her style. I love what she did with the song. You know the, That's another beautiful thing is like there have been thousands of covers of people uh, singing through the valley, you know, from full band to like Romanian versions by like, it's crazy the stuff that I've heard. Heavy metal, black metal versions like. But yeah, now the Tash Sultana thing, that'd be amazing to make happen. You know, Tosh, if you're listening, I still want to do it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's incredible. Let's put that energy out there. Um that's right, matter of fact, that's right. um, the latest thing that she put out, the uh, the so, have you heard the song with her and uh, BJ, the Chicago kid? It's phenomenal. I
1: haven't. I love BJ, too, so I haven't heard that.
0: Oh, it's good. Check that out.
1: Check that oh, out. Man, I'm going to right after this. That's awesome.
0: Um, watch this segue. You just were, you know, we're talking about her covering that you are also kind of known for some of the covers you do. See how good that was. Like, this this, this (laughs) is what they pay me for. Smooth man. You're a pro. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, um, but you pick really phenomenal covers. Like, uh, what, what connects you to a song that makes you not just play it, but like actually want to cut it.
1: Yeah. So I get requests all the time and, you know, first and foremost, it's a couple things. For me, it's nostalgia. If there's like an old school song I used to love and listen to that I'm nostalgic about, I'm going to connect naturally to it. The other thing is just sometimes I'll be like, nah, I could never cover that. And then I strip down the song and I learn the chords and I just take an hour or two and just mess with it. You know, feel my feelings about it and actually read the lyrics, too. That's another thing. One of my favorite things to do is to retranslate a song that was presented in one way and then go a whole nother way with it. And the lyrics fit perfectly in the other way, too. So, yeah, for me, it's just does the song make me feel? Do I connect to the words? Is the melody something that really when I sing it, do I feel it? you know, that's people want me to cover stuff all the time. And it's not that I couldn't cover it and do a great version, but for me, I have to personally connect and feel something to it. And I know a lot of people are disappointed out there that I don't cover certain things. And it is what it is, man. Like I'm, I'm very uh, stubborn about that approach with covers. Cause you know, another thing is I'm not just a cover artist, you know, 90% of the stuff I put out are originals and You get into the game of doing too many covers and then it's like, well, you know, I don't want to be that guy either. You know, Yeah. so it's that's why I'm very picky and choosy and I don't do them very often. But when I do, it's got to be one that connects in some way, makes me feel and that I feel like I can. That's another thing that's big. I feel like I can take the song and re-record it as a version of the song, not just mimic the cover Word for word, note for note, style for style. I think that's, you're never going to, in my opinion, you're never going to do it better than the original artist, right? So why would you try to do it the exact same way they did? Retranslate it. Show respect to them by, you know, having your own emotion and being influenced by their song to retranslate it in a way that's your own. That's like E for a cover for me.
0: That's awesome. Uh, you you uh, are talking about people that suggest them. Is there is there any song that you've gotten fifty million times that someone's asked people have asked you to do that you're just like nah, it just it's
1: not there. There are, but to be honest, sometimes they grow on me. Oh yeah, you know, like people for the longest time want me to do "Simple Man" by Leonard Skinner, right? And like at first, I was like, I like the song as is, right? But like. I don't know. just never did. And then one day I was like, you know what? I just never tried to play it. And so one day I was like, you know what? Let me just strip this down myself. So I got the chords. I learned the song. I started playing it and I got chills. And I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> they were right you know, i haven't put that one out yet though and now i'm sure when people hear this i'm gonna get even more but yeah, yeah there's <laughs> stuff like that hurt by johnny cash was the same thing you know hurt by johnny cash i actually put out a youtube cover of it like but it wasn't a full like studio production quality it was just like i was doing this live stream and i was like you know what i'm gonna do it for y'all right now and like the, the hang up with that song for me is that I don't think I or anybody could touch that song with the way that Johnny did it, you know, like what he did and what he was going through when he covered that song is just so heavy, man. And the video he put out and everything. And like, that's kind of what made me feel like uh, I it, it just almost is, is an ickiness about it, like a feeling of wrong. Like, why would you even do that? You know, like that, that don't touch that, you know, but yeah. I, of course, do... I can put my spin on it, and I love what I do with it, but I almost have hang-ups like that with some songs, you know? Yeah, uh, tracks. And it it is what it is, you know? Like, I might still put it out one day. It's just... Sometimes it's the timing, you know? Yeah. And and the feeling of that. But, yeah, sometimes... uh, I'm trying to think of another one that's, like, a a hard no for me. Uh, (laughs) Man. Oh, oh, I know. I know. Anything by a current artist that's like Hosier or Kaleo that people like to compare me to or like Rag and Bone Man. I get it. I get it. These are all peers and people that I respect and love their music, right? But like asking me to cover one of these people's songs is is just like it's kind of ridiculous to me and like I would that's a hard note for me just because like, dude, that dude's doing his thing and he's a modern guy right now. Like I don't want to compare and all this other stuff. It's just a it's a hang up in my head that I'm just like, hard no, won't do that.
0: Yeah, no, that makes that totally makes sense to me. Like uh I, I, I wouldn't have gone there, but but once you said hosier, like I was like, Oh, I, I can see what one of the most would-
1: common comparisons I get. And honestly, when I was younger it used to piss me off because I was like No, I'm different, blah, blah, blah. But the truth is we are similar in a lot of ways. Homie has a really soulful, intimate voice, and he injects a lot of passion and emotion in his songs. Like, that's huge, man. I do the same thing. Now I think we're very different as well, right? But, like, I get the comparison, and and I love Homie too, man. He's a fucking amazing artist for sure.
0: Absolutely. Um, oh, one of the other ones that I wanted to mention is uh, the Macy Gray cover that you did for the Grammys Reimagine. Is That was awesome. one,
1: dude, that was one I never thought I would do. I even, you know, I remember I was recording my album The Dark and the Light at the time and I was living in L.A. and the Grammys hit me up. Another one of those like, what the hell email is this? I thought it was another, you know. Uh, fake email or uh, some sort of scam right and then it wasn't it was like grammys reimagined is like this program for you know new artists to take a classic song that's either been nominated or won and retranslate it into your version and i was like hell yeah i want to do this so originally i was going to do percy sledge when a man loves a woman
0: cool
1: oh and dude i cool. Uh-huh. I fucking crushed that one. I still haven't put it out. I still haven't put it out. I need to. But I felt all sorts of ways about that song. It was on the list. I was like, I'm doing that one. And I sent it to them. I was like, I'm gonna do this one. They're like, uh, actually, no. And I was like, no. I'd gotten my hopes up. I had rehearsed it. I felt like I could like get into that performance where I give myself chills. That's another big thing. If I can give myself chills and really get into the performance every time, then that song's right for me. You know, that's like, I got to feel something to make you feel something. That's number one. So I was like, kind of sad about it, man. I was bummed. Um, And then we were looking through the list. And I was, I remember I was with my producer, recording engineer, Jimmy Messer. And we were in the studio recording the album. And I was like, man, they said I couldn't do this one. And he was like, well, let's, how about we take a look at the list together. And maybe I have like a perspective or insight that you wouldn't think of. And we're looking through And he calls out i try and i was like i don't know man it's like a pop song you know like and he was like yeah but look at the lyrics and you know i think that if you put your thing i think you could really he's like i think this is the one and i was like i don't know so i remember i went home and he was like just do your thing go learn the chords spend an hour or two with it so i remember i I was i was at this place i was renting and I I remember I I smoked a little bit. I got a little stoned because that sometimes puts you in the in the state, you know, and uh, I started playing it. And then it was like, boom, immediately I was like, oh, yeah, dude, I actually read the lyrics and I was like, dude, this is a fucking sad, depressing song about dealing with either addiction or a relationship issue and wanting to come back to it, but knowing it's not good for you. And like, you know, there's a lot, you could translate it a bunch of different ways, but I kind of translated it that way. And I connected to it so hard, so quickly. And I was like, yeah, all right, let's do it. And then, uh, yeah, that was it, man. And then, you know, that's, it was okay. It was all right with me. A lot of times the, sometimes that initial gut feeling of like, you know, yeah, I don't like it. Nope, not doing it. And then you just got to take some time and feel it, feel it out. Yeah,
0: the um, it, it, it's another another email story. I want to know how many emails that uh, you thought were spam that you deleted that were actually some other big <laughs> giant. I'll never know,
1: man. I guess I <laughs> I deleted them, you know, unknowingly. But half the time, I was always under this mindset of like too good to be true. You know yeah. what I mean? And some of the biggest opportunities have just come. Like that, randomly, you know. There's also been a lot, though, that were too good to be true, and so you know. Yeah,
0: the the Nigerian prince, not not really. Uh... Uh-huh.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I love it. Um, so you're playing the uh, World Cafe on October sixth. Um, how long? When, when's the? You said the tour starts very shortly, right? Like,
1: yeah. So the band comes in. Uh, and we start rehearsals on September twelfth. Um, I normally like a week of rehearsals. I don't like to do too much, but not too little, you know, a good balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and then tour starts. I think we leave September 18th for shows on the 19th in Seattle. And then it's a uh, full U.S. and uh major city Canadian. We're doing, you know, Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver. But yeah, full U.S. and, uh, and about 27 shows in 30 something days. So a big haul, big run.
0: It's killer. Um, do you, do you, you you know, with your, your newfound, um, uh, being able to take breaks, do you, do you still enjoy the road? Are you, are are you still a road dog?
1: Yeah, dude. I feel like it only makes me appreciate it more now that I take more, you know, like I, I don't take it for granted. Not that I ever did, but there's a sense of, uh, there's a sense of freedom of leaving everything behind and going on this mission with your friends and, Just having this unique fellowship and community and then also connecting with people all around the world. It's it's I never thought I'd ever be able to do it. And it's a beautiful existence that I will always appreciate and do it for as long as I can. You know, it's. uh, Yeah, no, I love it. I truly love it. There's ups and downs to everything. You know, like there's stressful times like we're in the state of the tour right now because we run everything DIY, you know. So me and my wife are the tour managers, the advancers, the preppers. You know, we're doing a tour bus for the first time ever because for 10 years we did, you know, vans, trailers, sprinters, RVs, this and that and doing all the driving ourselves. And last year um, really weighed on us. You know, we came back out of COVID with a full schedule and we we're like, we're going to do it the way we've always done it. And man, it weighed on us. You know, it was exhausting going from place to place, not only getting a few hours of sleep a night. So what I did was I avoided it for many, many years because I thought it was a bad thing the way other bands have done it. But I implemented a VIP program that, um I felt like I could taper an experience and an authentic make it worth the money that we're charging for it, capping it at 25 people a night. Um, They're getting merch items, uh, unplugged acoustic show before the actual show, like a bunch of really cool things that I would, if I loved an artist, I would immediately do that. You know what I mean? So I feel like I made it right. And what it's doing is it's literally paying for the amenity of a bus and a driver so we can have a little bit of an easier existence and give a better performance night tonight, and be able to do this in a healthier way. So yeah, it's, it's the first time. And I feel very fortunate to be able to do it. They're almost all sold out, which is another thing. Our fans have really supported us and have really made it possible for uh, us to grow and uh, not have all this weight on our backs and stress, not only of living that life, but, you know, taking away the travel stress, which is a huge portion of it.
0: Dude, that's killer! Like, uh, it's one of the things like that. I, I really think um, another one of those benefits that came out of COVID is I feel like um, the relationship between um, musician and listener has gotten so much better. Um, That when you present something like that VIP program, like there are people who who absolutely you know, like absolutely would would help support that, especially especially like you said, you know, you're capping it. It's not it's not some kind of gross cash grab or anything. No, it's not.
1: It's not for profit. It's literally to pay for something that'll make our lives easier on the road and give better shows, you know, and I got a little in the beginning when I announced it, man, I got a few comments that were like, I never thought he would do something like this. And I was like, oh, hell no, type, type, type. I I just went off. And like, I backed up. First, I was angry. But then I was like, you know what? I get what you're saying. It's why I have avoided doing something like that for 10 years. Because I feel like with a lot of artists, it's a cash grab. They just want more money. They want to get more things. But the the way that I found to be okay with it was to actually present something that I felt was worth the money that I would pay for for one of my favorite bands that I was going to see. So, and you know... Once I did explain myself, you know, I didn't have to explain myself, but I did because I I wanted people to understand where I was coming from. And it was accepted so warmly. And even the people that were talking shit turned around and were like, whoa, actually, I get it now that you kind of laid out why it is you're doing this. And it turned out to be a beautiful thing. That's another thing, like being honest with your fans and kind of removing this veil that a lot of artists have like, oh, I'm on a stage, I'm on a pedestal, I'm a rock star, whatever, like cut the shit man you know like just be authentic and connect and it's gonna it's gonna make everything so much better so yeah i feel lucky very lucky
0: awesome i love it well at this time you want to go through my uh jauntlet questionnaire these are the questions i ask every guest that comes through these were uh these uh the the the, this work uh the it starts with the one hit wonders you're just picking a favorite uh first one billy joel or elton john
1: i'm gonna go with billy joel yeah i think that uh, Do I have to explain why? If would- you'd like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I would say just personally, I feel as though some of the songs from Billy Joel I've connected to a bit more. So not knocking Elton John. He's a hell of a writer and performer as well. Love him as well. But I think I just connected a little bit more to Billy Joel. That's it.
0: I dig it. Uh, you, you have any Billy Joel in your repertoire? Is there is there any that you... <laughs> I never have, but now you're gonna make me think more, man. <laughs> I'll, put, I'll submit my suggestions. I love
1: uh, <laughs> I love covering the classics.
0: <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, next one: Debbie Harry or Joan Jett? Joan
1: Jett. Yeah. I yeah. think Joan was just much more uh, raw and uh, more of that rock and roll kind of straightforward attitude, like all about it. Yeah,
0: I I dig it. Uh, Aretha Franklin or Tina Turner?
1: This was a tough one for me, man, because I'm big on my soul singers. But in the end, I have to go with Aretha because I feel like the gospel and soul element in her stuff... Oh, I'm going to be careful how I say this. (laughs) (laughs) Tina felt like she was a powerhouse too, man. Don't get me wrong. But there was a a more pop element to her, in my opinion, whereas Aretha had this, like, church girl oh man i i remember there was this documentary they put out and when i watched that it just backed it up even more it was like her performing at some church and my god it was one of the best vocal performances i've ever heard so aretha i love tina too don't hate me <laughs> <laughs> that's killer uh nirvana or pearl jam nirvana yeah nirvana. for me i don't know um uh I dig some of Pearl Jam stuff, but for me, it was an immediate with Nirvana. Uh, I connected to them a bit better. More, they're both awesome, but again, no reason why. Maybe it was just the timing of how I grew up and what I was exposed to. So for me, it's Nirvana.
0: All right, right on. Uh, Janis Joplin or Stevie Nicks?
1: Janis, for sure. I saw, uh,
0: I saw that one coming.
1: <laughs> yeah, just the again the rawness and the soulfulness and the attitude and like the when Joplin would unleash and hit it mm. Stevie's great but I don't think she's ever done that kind of stuff <laughs> I
0: love it uh, the big cliche one Beatles or the Stones
1: it's, I don't even know if I can pick man in it, in terms of performance I probably would go with Stones but in terms of songwriting and sheer uh, catalog and diversity Beatles for sure but Stones, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know if I could choose. It's like I said, there's like a weird, I like some things. If if it was like, oh, creativity, Beatles. If it's, you know, vibe and overall atmosphere, probably the Stones. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know if I could get a definite on that.
0: The the listeners of this are about to roll their eyes because they know what's coming. I say it all the time, but to me, um, the the Beatles were like four geniuses, whereas the Stones are like a band. All right, and like that, so like that's why I always give the Stones just a slight edge, is because yeah. like, and and that's not to discredit anything the Beatles were
1: as a band. Totally, they man, were tight
0: as hell too. But
1: I feel like um, they, I would, I would honestly say the Beatles have more songs, more classic songs that I actually probably know in a, a wider, much bigger repertoire. But something about the Stones just makes me feel a certain way. I don't know. Hell yeah.
0: (laughs) Hell yeah. Uh, The last one of the One Hit Wonders, Bohemian Rhapsody or Stairway to Heaven?
1: Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. I just, man, they're both fucking crazy vocalists in their own right and everything else and musicians. But um, yeah, I think it was the live performance that he did at the, uh, I forget where it was. It was like the World Aid Benefit thing. Um, And his connection with the audience and how he just he was a force to be reckoned with, man. Yeah. And my mom, my mom loved Bohemian Rhapsody. She would always sing it growing up. So there's like a nostalgic vibe there.
0: That is beautiful. I love that. I love that. That's really what puts it
1: over for me, that nostalgia, you know. Yeah.
0: That's uh, awesome. Uh, the next section is the top 10 countdown. We kind of talked uh, briefly about it before we started, but John can be whatever you want it to be. It doesn't have to be music. It can be anything in the world. Uh, number one, what was your first John? What was the first thing you were obsessed
1: with as a kid? Okay, two answers. Singing, obviously, because I said like I did, but then Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah? Did you see <laughs> the new movie yet? No, man, I haven't seen it yet. Is it good? Have you seen it? It's really good. It yeah, is really it. good. Yeah. You know, it, there's part of me that misses the dudes in the outfits like the old school movies. But um I need I need to just bite the bullet and go. Cause I'm sure yeah. it's fun it, stuff. It made me feel like a kid again. Like it was oh, it was re- it
0: brought a lot back, man. It was awesome. Uh number two, what's your current John? What are you into right now?
1: Uh so recently I've started jujitsu. And that is something I've always wanted to learn a martial art in life, but I just never had the time. or never devoted to it. Um, and it's the hardest physical thing I've ever done in my life. I come back with new injuries almost every time. But there's something about it that is, I don't know, I feel like I need to get out a lot of physical exertion and energy. And for the first time I feel more balanced, you know, not just with songs creating that or music performance, creating that, but physicality, there's something about it. That's really given me a really cool um, understanding. And there's like a therapeutic element to it. And it's like a mind puzzle. Um, but I've, to be honest, like I started last October and I've I had to push pause last week on it because i was like i can't get injured before rehearsals and tour so mm-hmm. i want to do it I'm, I'm like aching for it but at the same time it's not worth compromising a tour coming up so i had to push pause so i guess i'll be back at it this fall but yeah jiu-jitsu is it's uh it's really gotten a lot of uh popularity it's like become the it martial art recently and i kind of get why man it's it's fun it's uh hard as hell hardest physical thing i've ever done like I come back and I feel like I need a nap, man. It's wild. The most I've ever sweat in my life. <laughs> it's ridiculous.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. I was, uh, you, you uh, pointed out my only concern, which was, I was going to say, but what happens yeah. if you you get your arm stretched and you, then you can't play. Like,
1: <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, I've talked to a lot of people about this and the worst time supposedly from my hear from everybody is in the very beginning when you're a white belt, because you're fighting against other white belts so, you know, if anyone ever, there was a dude that was like doing a wrist lock on me and I was like, stop, tap, stop. And then I just stopped and I was like, look, this is what I do for a living. I understand you want good job, whatever. But like, don't do that shit to me again. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is what I do. Please have respect or I won't roll with you. That was it. And, you know, I've I've been headbutted. I almost broke my nose one day. Uh, there's been a lot of things, but I find the more that I do it and the better I get, the better I get at avoiding injuries as well. So in the beginning, it was way worse and it's starting to get a little better. So I'm not I'm not doing it to compete. That's another thing. People that are doing competitions are getting way hurt quicker. I'm not going to do that. I just want the life's lessons and skills, you know?
0: That's awesome. I love it. Uh, number three, what was your first concert? What was the first live show you saw?
1: This is a funny one, man. Jars of Clay, the old Christian rock band. Because again, I grew up, uh in a very strict uh it's weird i grew up in the south side chicago and then also in a very strict upbringing because of that almost like that my parents were scared of that and they had come from that world and and one element i was around gangs and gangland stuff and violence and prostitution and all this stuff and then the other hand they were so tight grip because you know they were scared and they ran from it uh, but jars of because it was the first one i could convince them to take me to and because it was christian it was okay <laughs> that's
0: wild we were i just had a conversation with someone there was like this weird period in like the late 90s early 2000s where there was a lot of crossover bands that like you wouldn't you know like you can yeah. you know mainstream people wouldn't find out until like halfway through
1: like oh wait they have five christian rock albums and now like <laughs> like or they never come- knew that or something yeah There's- they were they got smart and they weren't like shout to the lord it wasn't like praise music they would like instead of saying jesus they would say maybe something a little different that could be translated as like a girlfriend or love or yeah yeah i think they just got smart (laughs) exactly i forget oh i think it was like uh
0: I think it's Switchfoot. There's a tribute album oh, it, coming out too. Yeah, I love them. I love and, them. And I was confused because I was like, I was like, look, Switchfoot's fine and all. I have nothing against them, but like, I was like, who's doing a tribute to Switchfoot? And then I found out, and then I started like looking a little, and I was like, oh right, the Christian rock background because like it's like I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's got like the Jonas Brothers are on it, and no. um, uh, one of the guys from Twenty One Pilots. Um, like it's it's like this weird collection of people. And I was like, wh- I was like, who put this together? And then once I found that, you know, like started like doing the research, I was like, oh, okay, it all makes sense. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll no, check I, it out. <laughs> I ain't heard of that. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh number four, what was your last concert? What was the last live show you saw?
1: The last live show I went to saw. I uh live in Portland, Oregon now. And like a few blocks down the road is like the oldest dive bar in uh, one of the oldest dive bars in the u.s Uh, it's called the sandy hut and they were doing a hundred year celebration of being the sandy hut and they had the metal band high on fire playing and i was like hell yeah man i haven't seen a matt pike so i walked over had a few drinks and just enjoyed the show this is like a couple weeks ago that's
0: beautiful i love that it worked out uh number five what was your favorite concert what was the best live show you ever saw
1: I would say it's split. Um, These two shows would be the shows that have given me the most chills ever. One of them is a Norwegian band. Um, We saw them. I was on an acoustic tour in Europe, right? And this band's called Wardruna. They did the soundtrack. A lot of people know them from the soundtrack to the original Vikings season and maybe a couple of the following ones. But they do this authentic Viking using traditional instruments that they used thousands of years ago or whatever. And it's instrumental and just like this ritualistic, almost spiritual thing. And we saw them. We got to see them live in Oslo and they had a children's choir and an adult choir with them as they're doing their thing. And it was one of the most chill inducing shows I've ever seen. The main guys, two children were in the children choir. It was just crazy. Man, I I can't even put it into words. It was ridiculous. So that was one of my favorites ever. I don't know if another show, I didn't think any show could compare, And then I recently saw the Mars Volta in Seattle and the Mars Volta is one of my favorite bands, man. And they blew the roof off the place. You know, they have that element of intensity of skill and rock and heaviness, but then they stripped it back and it was just so emotional and psychedelic and just the way they weave from song to song. It was like the transitions were gorgeous the the anthemic, his anthemic vocals and melodies and the way they do stuff, it, it inspired the hell out of me, man. And I took a bunch of notes that I'm implementing in for this next tour as well. So, like, I love doing that, man. I love seeing things and being like, ooh, I feel what you did there. I want to do that. I'm going to take that and tweak it and do it in my own way and add it to my show, you know. So, yeah, Mars Volta was another one that, in a, a completely different experience than Mordruna. Absolutely, night and day, but still similar with the the feeling and the chills I got.
0: Ah, oh, it's awesome! That is yeah. so cool. Yeah, the, the, uh, for me, um, I, I I have a very um, weird uh, emotion. It's an emotional thing, but uh, it was um, I saw I saw Beck uh, back in two thousand and fourteen. And it was essentially the um, the weekend that we call uh, the first date between my wife and I. And um, and so Beck comes on and it starts raining and we had lawn seats and we were like just dancing in the rain and stuff like that. And it was just like the like it was a little bit less what was going on on stage and a lot more what was going on. But that's definitely by far.
1: That's beautiful, um, man. Were you going to say something about the Mars Volta? I think I cut you off. There, no,
0: but, but uh, w- what I was going to say was um, the the um, uh, the choir, uh, the adult and children's choir. It it all comes back to the gospel community again. Like, it's,
1: yeah, it's, man. That... <laughs> There's just oh my god! It you know their kind of choir was like a weird medieval barbaric old. It felt archaic. There was something about it that was just like. Oh, I get chills even thinking about it, man. It's ridiculous.
0: Ridiculous. I love it. That's killer. Uh, number six, who have you never seen live that you wish you would have? They can
1: be living or dead. I made the biggest mistake of my life with this one. I was living in Nashville at the time, and I had the chance to see Etta James at a vineyard at a very small, very small, intimate vineyard show. Dude. Instead, I decided I needed to make money that day. I got offered a shift, and I didn't buy the tickets. I didn't go to the show. She played the show, and I think a few months later, she died.
0: Oh, and God.
1: Broke my fucking heart. It is my number one regret with shows that I will never get to make up for, man. I I learned my lesson then. You know, I was struggling back then. I needed bread, of course, but now looking back, I was like, pfft. Would have been worth the struggle even more, dude. That's a a legend. She wasn't even doing many shows, man, at the time. Like, not even doing much. And she was at a vineyard, very intimate. Probably would have been like a jazz set, dude. I'm never going to forgive myself for that one. No. God damn, that hurts. (laughs) That hurts. It does hurt. It does hurt.
0: Uh, Mm. Number seven, name an unappreciated John, something you wish had a little more shine to it. Um. That's a tough one
1: because it can be anything, you know? Uh, okay, for a musical, for a mus- I'll answer a couple of them. For a musical, John, I'd say the country artist Blaze Foley. Uh, he was friends with uh, Towns Van Zant, kind of that era of the outlaw country artists. He goes deeply unappreciated, man, but he was so good and so influential. And uh, he died at a very, very young age and never got to... Um, you know do his thing but there is something about the authenticity there's a couple albums he has out one of my favorites is live at the outhouse where you know just his banter in between songs and his performance is so raw so authentic so genuine so in the moment the crowd participation you can hear that sometimes there's like 10 people out there and just the back and forth, there's just something so beautiful. So yeah, um, for unappreciated musical artists, I'd say Blaze Foley is uh, one of my favorites. Yeah,
0: that's awesome. a lot. I of people don't check it out. Yeah, people, no, I
1: don't check him out, man. And check out that album. There's something special about it. Uh, and then oh, that's a tough one, dude. Unappreciated anything else? Um, oh man, I uh, I guess. I guess if I'm getting all introspective, you know, just appreciating that we, the life that we actually have, you know, a lot of times it's easy to uh, complain and look how things are bad and this and that. And back in the day I was that way. And even now, even though sometimes I'll find myself like comparing to others or this and that, and just backing up and appreciating what you do have and 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 being okay with it. And not that it's not going to get better and grow, but just, um, I guess it's hard to put into words, but that that feeling, that's been a big one for me, man. And not always feeling like more, 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 and trying to constantly push, enjoying the moment, being present in the here and now, whether it's whatever it is, you know, because I've had hard times in the past that I look back on now and almost appreciate and kind of made me who I am. You know, so kind of appreciating your circumstances, even though they may be rough right now. It's not always going to be this way. And sometimes you'll look back and find that those times were better than you, better than you remember, maybe when you were going through them.
0: Uh, it's, I love that a lot. I dig that a lot, man. And I, I 100% agree. Like, that's that's a phenomenal answer.
1: Uh, thank you. Uh,
0: number eight, favorite album. And I know that's a hard one, but... <sighs>
1: I'll, again, I'll have to do like two or three. <laughs> and it's not limited to this because there's so many. Um, but the Mars Volta. Um, there's one album, and I guess I'll tell this story. I did Acid for the first time when I was in college and had my first psychedelic experience, right? And I had loved this album already. This album's called Amputexture, and it's one of their wildest, with like The experimenting of sounds and man i remember listening to this album and just weeping weeping and just having a spiritual experience while on a psychedelic of course to this album and to this day man it's just that album had a big impact on me and just the the way that cedric performs his vocals like you can tell he's bleeding and just really letting go of stuff in his performance and that's just one of my favorite things. And it really made me feel things. And yeah, that experience was wild. (laughs) So that's one, um, that's for the more rock realm. You know, I'd say that, uh, for country music, I'd say Towns Van Zandt, uh, the album, be here to love me has a lot of songs that I just find really classic. And there is a darkness to Towns Van Zandt and, um, sadness and and just something that he wasn't the best singer right and he wasn't like the soulful guy or whatever but there's something about again the authenticity and almost a lot of his songs are like in admittance like he's admitting something and just like it's, it's raw so that that for like the more folk country type and then instrumentally uh there is a movie called the fountain that I'm not sure if you've seen by Darren Darren Aronoff. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the soundtrack to that, oh my God, mixed with that movie. So the soundtrack for The Fountain Man, that one is massive to me. There's something about it. I think it was done with the band, the instrumental band Mogwai, if I'm not mistaken, with him, with Clint Mansell. That's right. Clint Mansell, and I believe it was Mogwai. So you have this like post-rock, hardcore instrumental with Clint Mansell's kind of like symphonic uh you know composing that is just unmatched to this day for me
0: that's awesome my my buddy and I we uh, got into a conversation he was when he he was on the very uh first season of this and he's a he's an enormous uh soundtrack guy but we we go deep on uh I don't know if you're familiar with the uh the Cloud Atlas soundtrack but that is another one that is just okay so, yeah
1: all right i've seen the movie but i i don't know why i never connected to the, i'm gonna do i'm gonna look that one up there you yeah. go one for you one for me oh yeah <laughs> uh
0: number nine name an artist whose output you'll consume anything they release
1: yeah this chicago instrumental uh rock slash post hardcore no vocals their name is russian circles and I fucking love them, man. Everything they put out, I feel like, is right on the money. I've seen them live a couple times and just is good, live, and intense. There's something about it, man. There's uh, It's ambient, it's atmospheric, but it also hits hard and is like heavy hitting rock and just really uh, rhythmic and tons of mathematical kind of polyrhythm. It's just, I love it. It's beautiful. And it like makes you feel something like, something about the atmosphere ambient thing on top of all that happening just gives me chills. Like it's like a, a beautiful brain puzzle. Like when you're watching and experiencing it's wild. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. You give me a whole list of things to check out today, man.
1: I love them. Yeah. I'll read that.
0: That's awesome. Uh, the 10th and final of the top 10 countdown. What is your favorite John of all time? Again, can be anything you want it to be.
1: Yeah. Um, I think getting chills from something, you know, whether that be a movie, a book, a concept or idea or music, you know, that's obviously my number one thing. Yeah, just getting chills and feeling something that you can't explain from an experience or like it can be a view. You pull off on the highway and there's this epic view or yeah, in traveling and experiencing things, too. I think um, most of my favorite people are people that have lived a life where they've gone and kind of explored and have been open to experiences and it really changes them. And, you know, yeah, I guess just, yeah, experiencing, uh, new things and broadening your horizons. And then that feeling of getting chills from whatever it may be is one of my favorite experiences.
0: That's yeah. killer. I dig it. Um, you, one of the other things that I just want well, glanced down and I f- completely can't believe I completely forgot to bring up uh, when we were talking about covers. Uh, yeah. And this is more just this is just praise. This isn't even a conversation to be had. The fucking number of the beast cover, my friend, is <laughs> that was a choice and fucking. All yeah. right,
1: I have to I have to come clean here. Have you heard of Dejali's Zouani? No. So do you know the movie, I think it's called Spun, about meth and uh, all this other hard drug stuff? So there's a cover in the movie. I did not translate Number of the Beast in the way that I did from the original song. I translated my version from the version by Jolly Zwan. D-J-A-L-I-Z-W-A-N. And their version is basically the catalyst for my version to come about it's not the same It's different in its own way theirs is much more mellow and way more but it's still haunting and they translated the song into that which made me get inspired and translate it into my way all right well it, was, it, it worked man <laughs> check it out though their version's phenomenal phenomenal and i think i don't know if this is true or not but i heard the jolly's wan is billy from the smashing pumpkins project oh i'm not positive i heard that it might be a rumor but i think it may be so who knows um maybe i should google it and get some more knowledge but yeah man i love that cover i love seeing people when i'm playing that especially in the beginning when they didn't know and i'm going through like the verse and they're like i know this what what is this? And then the chorus hits, and you're like, "No way!" <laughs> it's undeniable when the chorus hits, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's beautiful.
0: It's a beautiful thing. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, other than the tour, um, the you got
1: any uh, you recording going on? Uh, you- yeah, man. We actually just I just got done tracking a full length album. It's supposed to be an EP. It's a concept EP. Um, I've always wanted to do it. I've always wanted to do A Western gunslinger, Enio Morricone style, old school, Wild West musical kind of EP concept. And so I did. I wrote it this uh, beginning of this year, pretty much, and fleshed it out, got ideas, you know, got my band to play on it, track the whole thing. It's being mixed and mastered right now. And we put out two songs from it. One's called I Want More, which is basically in the concept line is when the outlaw is running from the law, he crosses over the border into Mexico and it's his experience kind of going into that realm and that world. And then six shells is the other song we just put out from it, which is the beginning, the first lyrical content line and a story kind of tells the story of how he became an outlaw and what happened to him and what made this story come about and starts off the tale. So yeah, it's, um, Probably one of my favorite things I've done, man. You know, the longer I record and write, the better I feel it. I know how to get across what I'm trying to do. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited for this one. So this one's going to come out, I believe, November 3rd is the goal. So we tour. We're going to play a few of the songs. Uh, obviously, I want more in Six Shells, but there's another song we're going to play called Muerte Mi Amor, which is... I don't know. I have a good feeling that it's really going to resonate with my audience. It's uh, one of the most emotionally intense and, yeah, songs I've ever written. So um, it's like six minutes long, but it doesn't feel that way to me. And it's just an acoustic. It's a, a Spanish guitar and my voice. And that's it. And there's something about it, man, that just I can't I can't put my finger on it. When I first was writing it. I fucking I got emotional. I like teared up. And when I was recording it, it happened the same way. And sometimes when I listen to it, it gets me again. And I'm like, that's everything I need to know. You know. So we're going to be performing that live. It will not be released before the tour. But then after the tour is over, about a week or two after, the album drops. So we're really excited for it. And the album announced first here, I haven't even announced this, but the uh, the name of the album is going to be called Honor and Vengeance.
0: God damn that's killer. I love it, man. I can't wait to hear that that just sounds so fucking powerful like uh, uh the stuff. the um the the live version of I want more that that that's also on yeah. on on what you put out um sounds incredible, so I can only imagine what these things are gonna sound like live,
1: yeah, we're doing them you know, I want more the live version we played it in Brazil with the full band, and it gives a whole nother energy to it because like. The version, uh, the album version versus the acoustic version versus this new version we're doing with the band. I love to do that, too. You know, like, I mean, sometimes you'll hear it just like the album. But for me, I like to mix things up, you know, and create a new experience. So it's it's a powerful performance live. And I can't wait to be doing it night tonight night and see what people think.
0: That's awesome. Well, if these cool cats and kittens want to find you on the Internet, what's the best way to track you down?
1: Yeah. So I mean, if you go to SeanJamesmusic.com, it's got all my links. But you know, I'm on Instagram, TikTok. Most of it is at Sean James Music. I think YouTube, if you want to see performance videos and shows and stuff like that. Uh, it's Sean James Soul. And then, you know, the tickets are still available. Some are getting close to selling out. Most of the VIPs are gone, but I think there's a handful left. Um, but yeah, you can go to SeanJamesmusic.com. And all the dates are listed there. They give you a direct link where to get the tickets. And yeah, we're really, uh, really excited about this one. It's um, our last tour was in the summer of 22. So it's been a little bit and we're ready to get back out there for the U.S. That is. Yeah.
0: That's beautiful, man. Sean, thank you so much for doing this and coming on here and not just for that, but for creating all of the beautiful music you've created and all of the energy you've put out into the world. And, uh, I am just so happy that we got to sit down and have this conversation.
1: Yeah, man. Like I said before, you know, podcasts or interviews that go like this, where it just feels like a comfortable conversation and a back and forth are my favorite because I feel like I even talk about things that I wouldn't have planned to. And it's just, You really created the format and experience and atmosphere for it to be good. So thank you very much. I appreciate you. I know my fans are going to love this one.
0: What an awesome dude. My thanks again to Sean for joining me on the show today. Sean will be performing with his band this Friday, October 6th at the World Cafe Live in Philadelphia. Doors are at 7 with the show starting at 8 p.m. Tickets are still available for that show and the other dates on the remainder of his tour. Visit www.SeanJamesMusic.com for those tour dates and tickets. His latest singles, Six Shells, The Outlaw's Anthem, and I Want More from the upcoming concept EP Honor and Vengeance are available now on all streaming services. And Honor and Vengeance is tentatively due out on November 3rd, so be on the lookout for that. You can find Sean on the socials, at Sean James Music, on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter X, and on Facebook and YouTube, at Sean James Soul. Links to all of those, as always, are in the show notes. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe to the Yo That's My John podcast wherever you get your podcast from. And guys, it is not too late to get yourself a super awesome John Scout merit badge for citizenship of the world. Just by rating and reviewing us. Don't forget to visit myjohn.com for articles, merchandise, and links to all of the previous episodes of this podcast. And while you are there, be sure to sign up on our mailing list to get all of the updates delivered straight into your inbox. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash john for updates and live streams. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter X at yo, that's my John and search yo, that's my John on YouTube to find the yo, that's my John YouTube channel. Like, and subscribe the heck out of that ish. We want to hear from you. Reach out, reach out and touch some John. Can you believe it's October already? Spooky season is upon us. Blue skies until next time, everybody. Hey yo, displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure. Your taste in music doesn't have to be yo. That's my John. Is a Lonely Monk production, written and produced by yours truly, Nate Runkle. Theme song by Phil Tyler Music, featuring Nate Three Special thanks to Fox Run Brands, DX Ferris, Andrew Scott, Natalie Runkle, and the incredibly brilliant and wickedly stunning Katie Daubney. If you or anyone you know has any ideas they would like to share or any guests they would like to hear on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at yo, that's my John, at gmail.com or you can leave an audio message for us and possibly hear yourself on a future episode by visiting anchor.fm slash ytmj slash message. Until next time, be sure to displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure and shout. To the world, yo, that's my John.